Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. We are in James, and James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Uh, We're going to title the message, Harvest of Faith. Really, this is uh, the central theme for this letter. It's the central theme of James. When you think of James, this is probably what you think of. Uh, it's something that he kind of keeps coming back to, and it's, it's what everything is kind of built off of. Um, the idea of faith and works, how they work together, where, where it all fits together, all of that. So um, we're going to stand and read first, and then we'll pray, and we'll get started. So let's stand in reverence for the word of God. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect and the scripture was fulfilled, saying, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we just come to you with uh, this text, and, um, and it's caused conflict and concerns and confusion throughout the generations, but that is not something you want us to have or experience. Um, and Lord, there is a real, it just seems like there's such a clear path here, Lord, but understanding it, our way of understanding it is crucial as to having good um, doctrine and understanding in the way we relate to you and the way we relate to one another and the effect it has on our life as a whole and the the world and our witness. So we pray that you would pour out your spirit on us, Lord, help us to understand, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts that are soft and moldable, and we'd see transformation in our hearts and in our lives and uh, that would lead to witness in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys may be seated. Sweet. Well, really quick, really quick recap. James, um, brother of Jesus, writing this to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, and um, he is uh, talking to them. They're, They're persecuted, they're going through a lot. We just talked last week about uh, not having, giving the rich man the high place, even even though they abuse you and their flashy clothes. Don't let that, don't let that make you think more highly of them than you ought to, and then see someone who's struggling and say, yeah, I guess you could sit by my feet, or you can stand over there. Uh, It's about no partiality, and the way that we're supposed to react and and respond as believers in the world we're living in, and the world that, that this was happening in, you gotta understand, we've got to understand this. As we're looking at this text, and, and today, too, this, this text, we've got to understand the context of what they're dealing with. So when partiality is a really big deal back then, that's something that needs to be written about. Why write a letter? You don't write a letter for no reason, unless you have like a pen pal or something, and you're like, hi, how are you? Is it nice where you live? It's sunny here. I have a baseball game tomorrow. Bye, you know, okay, cool, thanks. And was that worth the postage? Maybe, I don't know, whatever. 
Yes, it was, because you wrote a letter. But no, this is, these letters are written for real purposes because of real stuff going on. So as we're looking at the text here this morning, we've got to understand that this is something that needed to be addressed among the believers here uh, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. So verse 14, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? So what advantage is there? Brothers and sisters, I'm writing this to you believers. I'm asking you, what advantage is there? Uh, you know, why, why is there for you to say you have faith, but you don't have works? Now he's going to lay out this hypothetical situation that would absolutely have uh, a root in what was going on in their current context. So it's an example carried over again from the past section. This, the rich person with their flashy clothes, their bright clothes, and uh, influence being treated well, and the person who's poor being despised. This, especially because this type of rich person uh, is giving, is taking more than he gives. These are the type of people that are bringing you into the courts and and fit, finding a way to not just take what they have, uh, or what you know, happy with what they have, but take from you as well. Abusive. So what gain is there? Now notice what it says. If someone says he has faith. This is the real issue. It's, it's the saying it without the being it. That's one of the, the things that you learn, especially in parenting. You can say it, but if, you don't, if you're not gonna be it, it doesn't, it doesn't take long from the start calling you out. <laughs> hey, you said we should do this, but you do this. Right, right? It's something about the, the words start to lose their effect. So you say you have faith, but it's never backed up by your life. Hey, I can tell you all day long, reading your Bible is really important, but if I don't do it, then what does it really tell you? Then I don't really believe it, right? You could say, oh, I have all this understanding of the Bible. I, you know, I say I love others, but my life reflects the opposite. I love theology, but I'm not convinced enough to have my life align with my understanding, my, my, orthodox, my orthopraxy with my orthodoxy as I understand what God wants me to do. I don't actually do it with my actions, my way of living. Can this kind of statement of faith save us? Can it deliver us? This is not saving faith. It's word only. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of food, verse 15, and now verse 16, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Using an example that would be really easy to understand, it's not just about someone who doesn't have food or clothing, but it absolutely is about that too. Is brother or sister of faith. So you're seeing it, someone in the body of your church, that, that's the thing to understand too. Someone in the building struggling, and you know they're struggling really well. You know it. So you say nice things to warm the soul, but have no desire to put an effort to change the way their situation so when he says naked, they're not like actually naked because be like, time to go. Any, you know, we'll, we have something for you. But the idea is like poorly dressed without enough food to live. I mean, this is not like, you know, I, you don't, oh man, you don't have a nice enough car, you know, whatever. You know, it's like, no, you're like, you barely are clothed and you don't have any food. It's pretty dramatic, you know. This is, anyone would say, hey, maybe we can help this person, Right? What this is saying, though, is your actions are speaking louder than your words. Let me give you a verse about your situation. Maybe you've heard that before. You're struggling, and you're like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. And someone's like, I got a verse for you. Great. But sometimes you can actually also meet the real need, and then that verse has a little bit more to it than that, you know? It's like whenever anything happens in the world, thoughts and prayers, and then the world starts mocking it. <laughs> you go, right, thoughts and prayers. Are you do, what are you doing? Is there any action at all? Is there anything that moves you enough to do something about it, to, to help in any way possible? And it's not to say we can solve everything out there, but there's a point where you get called out, called to the mat, especially when someone says, hey, I'm really going through something. Hey, man, I'll be praying for you. It's like, that's a good way to close this conversation. 
I'm praying for you. Well, okay. But um, could you talk for a second? Like, do you think maybe you could, uh, you know, just can I just run something by you? A lot of times that solves a lot, just, just being involved in people's lives, saying you care. If you could say, uh, if you say you care in word, you're, but you're outed by your lack of action. If we're outed by our lack of action that backs up what we say we believe. Um, yeah, anyway. And a lot of times it's like, what you could give a little to save someone a lot. You know, just a little bit can help a lot. Um, I told the story about when I was multiple times where you have no food, no money, and someone buys you a meal and it's like the biggest thing in the world and you still remember it 15, 20 years later. It's just like it's little things. Because it, it's not just like, you're not trying to go on the, like, the welfare system of the church, you know, or the, of people in it, but you're just like, it's like God meets you in that place where they go, hey, can I um, help you here? Like, what if, I, what if I stepped in and I did something that would actually impact your life? And then the, the action outlives it's what anyone would have intended it to live because it's, it shows not just, it shows that, that people legitimately care and it also shows them that God is, is, is visible and, and involved in their life, both, you know, through all of it, like answering prayers, but also in the existence of the church body where he intends to move, where he intends for people to, uh, you know, this is how we meet needs through the body of Christ, ministering to one another. But saying one thing and then, but then having no intent to actually act on it shows inconsistency. It shows you have no care, actually. We, you know, it makes sense. We, what's the word you think of when someone says they say something, but they're actually something else? What's the word? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. And the church has gotten the label for being hypocritical. Well, is it deserved? Probably. Have I played the hypocrite? Yeah. Have you? Probably. But this is saying like, no, God has called us into something far better than that. We don't have to just give platitudes or like, you know, beautiful sayings. Let me just talk to you and let me just say, can I tell you, be warm wait for it, and filled off on your way. It's just like, I feel nothing. I'm not warmed. I'm not filled, you know. Where do I go from here? So it says in verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if it has, does not have works, is dead. So this is, this is where it's, we're going to get more into this in a second, but um, as those part of the Protestant Reformation, faith alone is a big deal, right? We're looking at, at faith alone that saves us. And we're going to get into the texts in, in Romans, and we're going to talk about that. Uh, but this is not about um, our, our place with an immediate faith with God. We're not working our way towards salvation. That's not the idea. That the salvation is, we, we get salvation because we work. The idea is that as you're saved and we believe transformed and renewed and born again to new life, with that comes fruits from a new life. With the new root comes more new fruit. So what James is saying is, you say you, you have faith, but you have nothing that reflects that. I don't think you have faith. Because it, it's, you're saying it's a weak, weak faith in that case. And it's not powerful enough to change anything. That diminishes the gospel, that diminishes the witness, that diminishes even the message. And you'll find, you'll find if you're living that kind of a life, you don't want to preach the gospel to somebody because it, doesn't, it didn't save you from anything. How's it going to save someone else? If it's, it's the inconsistency and the lack of potency of the message has now been like, well, why would I even tell someone? Just kind of be a nice person. You fall into that trap, and it happens really quickly and easily. Just be kind of like a decent member of society, and we'll be good. No, James, he believes in a much higher message than this because he saw his brother, who he didn't believe, to be the Messiah raised from the dead. So he's like, Dead men raised? No, 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 no. No. That's going to affect me. 
And then he, he experienced the transformation and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, and he was willing to die for this faith. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. James makes the point that there is no way to separate healthy faith from a fruitful return. A good tree with a solid root system with good nourishment produces what it was created to produce. Yeah, growing up, we had two trees in our back, where you had this tree in our backyard and one in the front, and one was an amazing plum tree that made the, it was the best plums in the world. You probably heard me talk about them. I wish I could find these plums again. They were like the really dark inside, like purple, just the white ones, sorry. If you like them, trash. You just never, you've basically never had a plum in your life. If you're all, only eating the white, the ones with the white on the inside, these ones were just like, you'd bite and it would just be like, oh, wow. We have that tree with the nectarine tree, which is the one I got in trouble for hitting over the fence, you know. With the one in the front was kind of didn't produce, but then all of a sudden that plum tree stopped producing fruit and now it's no longer there. Stopped producing fruit. What was going on? What was happening, you know? Something's wrong. If, if you say you have an orange tree and you nourish it and it's got a good system and it never produces an orange, guess what? It either ain't an orange tree or something went wrong. Something is not right here. You're like, look at this beautiful orange tree. And someone comes in and goes, that is not an orange tree. That's a Christmas tree. Anyway. Yeah, I know, that's... It was pretty low blow on someone who doesn't understand what plants are. Anyway, but the idea is, is that if, if you have a good root system, this, what James is saying is you say you're saved and you've been transformed and like Nicodemus is told, must be born again. And we see all throughout the scriptures, those who have made this decision are literally transformed and out of their life starts springing some radical things. If there's no hint of any of this happening, then what's going on? Something's wrong. Something's missing. We can judge that something's wrong if there's a lack of natural fruit produ production. And that's what James is doing. So what is he addressing? Probably people are like, hey, I have faith in Jesus. I'm good. Guess what? I believe he rose from the dead, so I'm good. You know, cool. I'm, I'm going to heaven now because I already... I already know the test. I know the answer on the test. I get to heaven, Peter's sitting there or whatever, and it was like, hey, why should you go into heaven? Because Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and he rose again three days later. I'm new in him. Cool. Lived my whole life however I wanted to. James is saying, like, that is absolutely not what like, being born again is like. It's because it's, it's like being awakened. How can you be unawakened once you've been awakened? You've, it's, a new, it's a new thing. I've been crucified with Christ. Now, it's no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. What does fruit look like? Sanctification. We look more like Christ. What does it look like to be more like Christ? You, you're less about yourself. And the idea is that it's shown and make known, that it's able to see. You show me or make known your faith without without works, and I will show or make known my faith by my works. Now again, James is not saying I'm doing this to work my way to heaven. He's just saying like this changed me and my values have changed and now my life has changed and the things that I care about have changed. So obviously my actions have changed. Verse 19 you believe there's no, that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. We get insight into the faith that doesn't save. You believe in one God. That's a good thing, right? Monotheistic. We believe in one God. We all believe in the same thing. So far, we're doing great. But believing in existence without allegiance towards the source will give a false sense of security. You think you're good, but you're not. Even the demons believe. They probably believe more than you do in some sense. They actually know he believes. And they tremble. Because if, if you're so flippantly walking on the grace of God, if we're not you, us, right, all of us, if we're so flippantly walking on the grace of God, 
then it means we don't tremble. We're like, we have no like fear of the Lord. There's nothing in us that's like, I wonder, wow, Jesus saved me. There's nothing in us that goes, I wonder if it's for a reason or if it was just because he needed to occupy heaven. He needed people up there. And so he was like, look, guys, I'm kind of running stuck. Uh, you know, all you got to do is just sign this and you'll be good. I haven't found enough people. So end of the day, we used to do trade shows. And um, you would always, at, at the trade shows, at, people from all over, the, all over the country would come together to these trade shows. And you knew the trick was, at the very end of the trade show, was to go to all the booths of everything that you've wanted. You've seen it the whole time. Wow, that looks cool. That looks cool. Don't talk to them now. Wait. Right when they're about to pack up and they're thinking about their shipping fees, the fact that they have to pack it up, you go, hey, can I, what about that? Do you need that? Yeah. Um, what kind of a deal would you do? Well, it's normally 300, but I'll give it to you for, for 150. How about 80? Okay, sure, take it. You know, okay. That's the way. It's like, no, it's not a discounted rate. That's not what God is looking for. He saved us for a good purpose and for a good reason. The demons even tremble. They even have that. So we have a false sense of security. It's so easy to do. This is not what it means to be a disciple. This is not what it means to follow Jesus wholly with all of us. It's a surrender. It's a process. But un, it's like, and that's it. It's sanctification. It's a process. So it's not like you're going to have it all together. But like there's, there's a, like if you look at the curve of your life, it's going closer to Jesus. Some slower than others. The faster, the better. The more fulfilled you'll be, the less frustrated we'll be. The more like exciting life is. The more you see him meet you in all these different things because you're, you're part of now the body. What does the body do? Works. What does the Ephesians 2.10 tell us? You're created for good works. Not unto salvation, but because of salvation. Because now you're aligned with the great creator, with the designer, with the one who's given you all these things in your heart to do and the ability to do it. So cool. So we think we're getting away with something, but it's like you're actually missing out on everything. You'd just be a miserable believer, if at all. It's a process. But our unbelief is exemplified by the things we hold back. The Lord's like, can I have that? And you're like, I really like this. Please give it to me. I, this is mine. No, it's like, no, no, this isn't mine. This is me. This is who I am. I, if I give that away, what will I be? It's like, you, I think I got this. I created you. I made you. I know you. I have the best intentions of using you. Verse 20, but do, you, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? This kind of faith doesn't even have enough power to transform action. It's a dead faith. I don't believe it enough for it to even transform my action. And he says, you're foolish, O foolish man. Why are you foolish? Because you're deceiving yourselves into feeling okay. You, it's like, stick your head in the sand, I'm good. You've deceived yourself, which is, we're really good at doing, really good at doing that, deceiving ourselves, talking ourselves into thinking, oh, we, this is different. I'm good. I got this. Our words are hollow because our actions contradict our words. Say, I love and value people, but not you. <laughs> I love and value people, people somewhere out there, <laughs> but not that person who's been put in my life I've received incredible, I mean, we could say this, oh, I, God has been so merciful and gracious to me. I've received incredible, undeserved grace and mercy, but you don't, because I don't want you to. Much has been, when we've forgiven much, we forgive much. Those who've received grace, we've received much, we, un, we extend much. 21, verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. 
Justified by what is the question? Faith or works? Um, I think it's the, this is where things get tricky. So Paul's writing justified by faith, about, by faith, and James is saying justified by works, but it's understanding the different part of the process. Because um, actually Paul also quotes in Romans, we'll get into the text in a second, Abraham as being justified by faith. So you're using the same word with the same person as an example. But the thing we gotta understand is when Paul's referencing justification by faith, he's talking about Genesis 15. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called into this, and we'll read that in just a second here. Uh, but Romans 8, 3, 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So faith is justified apart from works of the law. The idea that the law is what will save you through works is absolutely unchristian idea. That will not save you. Jesus was the one that took on the whole law, and he's the one that has freed us and, and, and redeemed us through all of that. So that's never been the point. So Abraham's example, though, in both of them, Romans 4, verses 1 through 3. What shall we say then? Abraham, our father, was found according to the flesh, or has has found according to the flesh. Uh, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So it was not his works that saved him. This was not what justified him initially. The reference is to Genesis 15, um, where Abraham is saying to God, God's called him out of the land of Ur, and he says, hey, listen, Abraham, I'm going to make a people. I'm going to do all this stuff with you. And Abraham's like, like um, there's no one to even be my heir. The guy who would be my heir is Eleazar of Damascus. That's who's left. Like, how in the world are you going to do anything with me? I'm old. I'm 75. What does God say to him in verse 4 of chapter 15, Genesis? And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans uh, to give you this land to inherit it. A promised people and a promised land and Abraham believed it even when it didn't make any sense. That's faith. I believe in what you said because I trust you. I'm putting my trust in you and I believe in the finished fulfillment, what you're doing, what you will do, all of it. Abraham took God's word for it. He believed it. This is what's essential for salvation. I believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ that he died in my place for my sins to be risen again from the grave and now I live in him. We hear it so much that if, if, we if it starts losing effect, we start right forgetting that it's dead men coming back to life. Abraham was convinced and then his mind was changed. The definition of repentance is a change of mind and heart, a change of will. The way I was going, I'm now not. I, I think differently than I used to because we think of repentance as you got in trouble, uh-oh, I better lay low for a little while. Kind of got in trouble, sorry, 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 I promise I'll never do it again. I'll, join, I'll go on a mission trip. I'll go to church four weeks in a row. And then it's like, all right, the smoke's cleared. I'm out, God kind of hooked me up, back to normal life. No, but repentance is a complete change of mind. Abraham, now, whatever his life was before, it was no longer that anymore. This would be what he would be doing for the rest of his life. All right, God, this is what I'm gonna do. 25 years later, he has the kid. 25 years later. Crazy. And so that's where we see, oh, here's the contradiction. Paul using Abraham on both accounts, the word justified, Paul and James justified Abraham. One says works. One says um, 
says uh, faith. It's not, it's not a contradiction, though. It's a sign of life played out in the natural response or result to initial faith. Genesis 15 reveals his initial faith. Genesis 22 confirms that he believes it. Why? Genesis 22. We're going to read through some more verses. You guys down? I'm, re- I'm talking fast. I've been listening to things fast, so that's it's that week. Then they came to the place, Genesis 22, 9 through 18. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. God had told Abraham to kill Isaac. He's gonna, you're going to bring him up on the hill. And Isaac's like, what are you doing, Dad? He's like, the Lord's going to provide. He's going to provide a lamb. He's going to provide it. He's going to take care of the provision. Stretch out his hand to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. That's the most, you're listening, best you've probably ever listened in your life. He's a hundred and something years old and he doesn't need miracle ear, you know, or whatever it's called, you know. He's just like, all of a sudden, he's just like, all, huh? I thought you might be calling. Who knows how many times he pulled the knife? It's like when you really don't want to, bust your kids, and you start doing the counting thing, and you're like, shoot, I'm in it now. As soon as you start counting, you're in it. And you, especially if you start by the count of three, you're like, three? Have we ever done anything in three before? But now I'm going to have to say, if you don't get here in three, you're going to lose this for a week. It's out there. One. Two. Two and a half. Two and three quarters, you know. Two and four fifths. Come on, you know. You start, all of a sudden you're like fractions practice. To the, you know, anyway. 2.99999, you know. Just get over here. I don't want to do this. Anyway. I don't know, but I know he picks up the, he's about to slay him. And Abraham lifted up his eyes. Or no, he said, here I am, verse 12. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You know what's interesting? I I think Abraham knew this child was an unbelievable blessing from God, but there may have been a thing where he was starting to look at his kid too high. Like he was starting to become, like the blessing had become the thing. I don't know this, but I know that God definitely made sure that that was no longer the case here. And you go, this sounds brutal and archaic, except for when you find out that this is exactly what God did for us through Jesus. Because he says, you not withheld, I know that you fear God since you've not withheld your only son, your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked he, what, the reason he said only son is he, he had another son, but this was the son of promise. And there's insights, more insights into that in just a second here. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and he took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided, which is the same mount where Jesus was crucified, by the way. Um, then Jesus, the angel of the, Mount Moriah, is the same mountain as we're, anyway. So that's pretty sweet, too. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and would not have, and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Here we have Abraham willing to go. But why? Why was he able to do this? He believed. He believed that God, that Isaac was the son. He's like, I know I'm not starting over again at one, whatever I am, 30, 130, you know? Because you said this was the one. This is, the, this is him. 
So uh, we've talked. It's been a while since we share these, but like the tenets. Why? Is, what does Abrahamic righteousness look like? Trusting God even when it makes no sense at all. Abraham, you're gonna have a baby. You're gonna have a nation. You're gonna have a land. What? Loyal to God even in the land of other gods, against all other gods, building an altar right in front of the rest of them. Hey, Baal, nice to see you. This one's for you. This one's for the real, true, living God. Obedient in Genesis 18 to do justice and righteousness that you would stand and be different and looking for the provision of the Messiah. God will provide. He will do what he said he will do. He will come through. All these actions are motivated by faith. He believed God would keep his promise. We get insights actually from Hebrews, which we just were in. The hall of faith. By faith, Abraham, uh, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. He's like, I was already dead and you were raised. If God says to do this, he'll, no one's, I've never seen anyone raised from the dead, but he'll do it now. I know he will because you're the son of promise and you said you'll do it, God, and I believe you. So I don't know how this is all gonna play out, but I'm willing to obey even though it makes zero sense right now. That's faith in action. That's actually a fruit of faith. Because when Abraham says he trusted God, I trust you, God, it's so easy to say those words. But now, many years later, it's really, really taken root. And this is the faith that is, that's, this is faith accounted as righteousness. Why? Because it's produced righteousness. As the more he trusts God, the more he's making decisions based on that trust in God, the more everything aligns. Isn't that wild? There's an internal shift, especially for those of us who are born post-Messiah. Jesus has now come in and completely freed us. We go into the water, right? We do our beach baptisms. In, out. Death, life. And I, I've not seen one person come up without a smile. I've seen many go, go down without one. A lot of times it's fear, right? Water's cold. The waves can be, bit, for some reason, we've had a lot of, we've had a lot of uh, shore break uh, baptisms, which I'm like, all right, Lord, they need this, I guess, you know? And you're going, boom, whack, and you're just, you're out. That was a good one, you know? There's like, that thing like snapped all that. You, we needed a little extra. I'm just kidding. I don't think that's what it is. But, but his by Abraham's works, his faith was made perfect. That's, the, that's the perfect. What's perfect? It's complete or finished, mature, like a tree. The fruit follows the root. As he's believing, as his, he has this real faith, it's been matured. So how do you know if it's really a healthy tree and what kind of tree it really is? Fruit. Here's the fruit. And the scriptures, uh, verse 23, reiterates this. And the scriptures, uh, the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Faith in the provision of God. Actions to reflect this faith. What's interesting is we have works no matter what. But what do they produce? What do they show us about ourselves? We do things. What do our actions tell us about where we're at? And that's a, a good thing to like think about and ponder. What do my actions say I believe in? What does my life say that I really believe in? Because even like um, you can even sense in your in your body, it's like if I find I'm I'm always fearful about something, well, then fear holds a high level in my life and I, I haven't delivered that to the Lord or, or if I'm always worried, well, then I haven't, there's something going on in there where I not, have not found the scriptures to be true yet in that way or I'm anxious about, it's like, well, then I'm fine. There's something missing here. Not to say, we're not gonna be perfect 
perfect on this side of eternity. No, but God wants us to experience the more and more and more of the wholeness of a lifestyle, mind shift, heart shift, newness of life, to believe me even in that. I know you trusted me in this. That was awesome. Now what about this? Yes, now you're free. The thing that you were holding on to so tight that you thought you had, you thought you were holding the whole world up. You weren't doing anything. You're not doing a thing. It's like a little kid helps you and you're carrying something heavy and they got their hand on it and they're thinking, if I let go, this is not gonna be good. And you're thinking, you holding on is actually not good. This is making it a lot harder on me right now. And now I have to worry about you if anything happens to you. Like this is, instead, let go. I got this. Like no problem, you know, let your kids hold on anyway. But likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Rahab the harlot. Okay, so we have Abraham, this great noble. Yes, Abraham, Father Abraham. We all look him so noble, so high in our opinions. Let, also, let's talk about the prostitute Rahab. You know. Broad spectrum, but what are they all just, they're all justified by faith, but faith that re is reflected in their actions. Hebrews eleven thirty one. 31, by faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Why is Rahab in Hebrews 11 with Abraham in the hall of faith? But she believed that God was more worthy of her actions and her allegiance than the authorities of the time. This story is found in Joshua uh, 2, verses 8 through 13. We're almost done here. I know, lots of scripture. That's a good thing, right? Uh, now, before they lay down, she came up to them. So these are the, the uh, spies that had come in on the roof and said to the, said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, this is in Jericho too, that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For you, when you came out of Egypt and uh, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side to, uh, of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed, and as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. She believed that they served the real, true, living God, and she was willing to go against her whole people and say, save me. What's so interesting is, by that action of faith, Rahab starts a new life, and she eventually becomes part of the lineage of Jesus. What? Faith, trust, repentance, new life. Beautiful. Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. The, uh, this is the animating force of faith. Your faith does not have, it, it, this, it's, your faith is, it's, it's not, your works don't save you by, again, through what you do, but your works are a symbol of a saved life. They go together. A changed life should have changed values. We should see the world differently and respond accordingly, right? We sow well, we reap a harvest. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a harvest to be reaped. Our faith is, is that, a harvest of works out of the faith. Like when God does something in us and changes us, then it na it's a natural response. It's not like a, I'm doing this because I have to because of God. No, it's like you're awakened to, whoa, this is amazing. I get to do this. Or wow, I found like my place. Wow, I, I feel awakened now. I'm alive. Action 
animates our faith. We believe and the actions follow. This is true in everything we do. When we believe something, we follow it. When you become a believer of something, you follow it. By the way, when you really become a believer of something, not only do you follow it, but you try and get all your friends to follow it too. Guess what I'm doing? New thing, new hobby. You should do it too. Guess what we're into now? Rock climbing. All right, okay, cool. All right, guess what we're into now? We're going mountain biking. You're like, bro, I can't keep up, you know? But it's like, it's, you know, you probably have friends like that have, they pick up hobbies a lot. I'm, I'm like, I like hobbies like that. I'm less so, I guess, now. But where you, you, and then you become like an evangelist of it. Listen, let me tell you all the, all the properties and how this is really going to help. You understand how important this is for you. And, you know, think about, oh, man, what kind of a price could you put on your health? You know, um, whatever. Skip a couple house payments. It's worth it, right, for your mental stability. You know, um, I would never say that, by the way. But. You become an evangelist. Man, just get your foot in the door. Come on. Just, just give it a try. Let's go. Let's go. You know. We believe something. We, we act like we believe it. Think about that. It's like, that's, and then we have to ask the Lord, search me and know me, Lord. Show where I'm at. Show where I'm off. Where, where is my word out of alignment with my deed? Where's my word out of alignment with my actions? What are the things that I say I believe and promote? And then what are the things I actually say and believe and promote? What's, what's, the, what's the crux? What's the thing that's like, man, this is, this is what I'm all about. This is what I care about. This is what I value the most. And it shows you. Your actions show you. They have the little litmus tests. There's fruit everywhere. But as we abide in the vine and we trust him and continue to have faith and trust and trust and trust and trust and go, Lord, I'm, I'm going to keep on being built up by you. I'm going to keep on trusting you. I'm going to keep on allowing you to work in my life. Then, and you're going to see fruit that's poured out of that. Because what does John tell us about those, those uh, branches that don't bear fruit? What happens? It's not good. <laughs> Why? It's because there's, there's no life. It's not there. And so we fall back to the place where we start at the feet of Jesus and say, like, even, even it's like, maybe you've said the, come to the Lord and said, like, Lord, I, I want to serve you with my life. But I, I've found myself wanting to serve other things now with my life. And I feel like what was once the most beautiful, amazing message that I couldn't wait to share has been on the back burner because I'm actually not experiencing this at all. I feel like dead and I don't feel like sharing it and I feel like I, I actually am annoyed by the idea of doing anything for God or whatever. Healthy roots produce healthy fruits. Lord, search me and know me. Change my heart, change my mind. Lord, work out in me something in me that naturally produces it, not like I'm trying to do stuff, I'm trying to do works, but that they just naturally come. That when an opportunity arises, you're like, of course I would be the hands and feet to meet this. Of course I would, I would be so honored to be a part of that. I'd be so stoked to be able to help you or to hear you or to give you advice or to meet you in a place or whatever. Our works don't save us, but they definitely show the sign of a saved life been saved by grace through faith not of works lest any man should boast but the faith that has no action to it you got to question if there was ever really faith there at all and that's really what James is saying God is merciful and he's gracious and he's way more than us but he's calling us into a real holistic life change holy all of us all of me my mind, my heart, my body, my time, my actions, the way everything is, it all gets filtered through that. And then we receive like great rewards in the sense of being able to become part of what he's doing, having vision and purpose and meaning and direction and with our lives. It's, it's really beautiful. I was nervous. I mean, this section, I, I feel like I really, I understand it. I love it. But it's like one of those ones where like, if you go too hard one way or the other, you can mess people up really easily. So I'm like, okay, be really clear with your words, how this makes sense. So hopefully it does. If you do have questions, I will 
I'll talk to you after, okay? <laughs> if you're like, well, what about this? What about this? I'd, you know, love to chat more about that if you have any, any thoughts or questions on that. But um, for me, as I studied this and have spent this week looking at the text, it has encouraged me all the more to be like, I'm so grateful that I don't just have a faith that's like, yeah, you made it, now just sit over here, but one that is actually active, one that actually takes over all of it, that's able to trust God in the craziest stuff and able to believe him in, in even when it doesn't make any sense at all and able to be loyal to him even when the whole world goes a different direction and is always going like, well, what if God met us there? What if he continued to fulfill his promises? I'm gonna believe that. And then my life will reflect what I say I believe. Lord, thank you so much for your wonderful word that it, it is, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it kind of feels, like, feels like Paul and James are both sides of the sword here. <laughs> One's cut in one way, the other's cut in the other way, but there is a, a real life effect in this. That it's just, it shows us, man, where are we really at? Do we, do we have a weak faith? That's like not really faith at all. We just have learned how to say the same words that the demons could say with no issue at all. Or are we transformed? Have our minds, are we in the process of transformation through sanctification? Where our minds are more and more becoming like yours. Where we are more and more trusting in you and believing in you. And more and more our actions are reflecting a change of heart and mind. That's what we desire not that like we're getting gold stars in heaven because we do things, but that we have a faith that's strong enough to change the things that we do and want to do and desire to do. Like Psalm 37, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. As we delight ourselves in you, our desires become you and you fill us and you meet us as we trust in you and we put our faith in you, you show us what you want us to do next and then we live lives of fulfillment because we're living in your promises and your blessing. When we go solo and rogue, it's like, it's, it's one foot on either side of the fence. So help us, Lord, to align our minds, our hearts, our lives with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.